2: Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf, once again talking about the game we all love.
3: We are, we're here again. and Plenty to talk about, plenty coming up, plenty has happened and we've been to a film premiere this week, Nick. First time ever, we've, we've both been attending one of those.
2: Exactly, I've got a line for you from the very top. Selfie with David Beckham. Of course, I was hopeless, the most hopeless phone call nation ever. He went, give me this thing. Come here. We're about the same age, but I was like a basically a granddad from the 70s. And David actually had some idea how to use them. So it was very on brand for talking to Nuka mm. and and for me. You'll be glad to know. <laughs> <laughs> but we enjoyed it, didn't we? It was a smashing night out. And we'll talk about that later. But Phil, on the table matters, we have to say. UK championship. One of those special moments of the season, isn't it? When you're on the eve of the UK, it's all in front of you. It's just like we just cannot wait. So you must be like anyone else that loves this game, just kind of on tend to hook, thinking we're just settling down for some magical viewing.
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's a big one. One of the big ones. Um, yeah, you know, we've had a lot to enjoy so far this season and sort of slowly been building up. You know, the international championship is a big one it's in itself, but I haven't got the history of the UK that we know so well. So, yeah, you're right. Plenty to be excited about.
2: Of course. And we'll look back on what was just, again, another brilliant edition of Judgment Day or, or days, to be precise, and look ahead to all the matches coming up in York. Uh, and we'll do so, Phil, won't we, in the company of a special guest who's joined us for this UK preview episode. And we really are uh, delighted to have him with us. He's a fellow journalist who has made a big name for himself in motorsport. Today's guest was an incredibly successful former editor of the F1 Racing magazine, a publication that regularly sold well over a million copies every month on his watch. He later became communications director with the McLaren F1 team and then chief communications officer with Aston Martin and is still heavily involved in the motorsport world today via his own PR agency, Diagonal Communications. But that's only part of the story. He's also a columnist, novelist, historian and speaker. And more pertinently for us, he has a deep love of snooker and we can't wait to hear his words of wisdom here today. Matt Bishop joins us on Talking Snooker. Matt, it's great to see you. How are you?
1: I'm extremely well and I'm honoured and chuffed and delighted to be on your show. (laughs) <laughs> we don't hear enough of the word chuffed
2: do we Phil I like that that's a great way to start Matt as we do with so many people that join us tell us how your love affair with this sport started
1: well you know I'm um uh, for my sins I'm 60 years old so uh, it goes back a long time and it actually started like this I think which is um well <laughs> perhaps I hadn't intended to but I'm starting off with um a slightly personal revelation so there you go um my my mum and dad um split up when i when i was a kid uh, as so often happens uh, occasionally in families anyway they did and i stayed with my mum and my little brother also stayed with my mum and my dad um went on his way and we probably didn't see that much of him for a little while but then it was via snooker that i rebuilt my relationship with my father and we're going back, you know, half a century now really. And uh, now I'm, you know, still pals with him and we meet up and my mother's passed away, but my dad's still around, but we used to, we lived in Camden town or I lived in Camden town with my mum, and he lived in Hampstead, not very far. These are all places in North London for those who don't know London. And in those days, London, as most big cities were beginning to fill up with snooker clubs as you know, on the back of the success of Pop Black and the the whole snooker loopy revolution uh, of the 80s or late 70s and 80s. And we played at the Delancey Street Club in Camden Town, now long closed, but a great club it was. Um, Great tables, great vibe. And when the Masters was going on, which of course was in London, North London, Wembley then, um, you know, uh, the players used to come and you'd see Jimmy White practicing there, or you'd see Ray Reardon and practicing there, uh, and that was exciting. Well, my dad and I used to play there, and um, I mean, neither of us was very good. I will admit that, but I was better <laughs> than him. I was definitely better than him. I, I, definitely was. I think I once, I think I once got a sixty break. So, well, you bloody know, hell. No, we're, no, come on, guys. What do, you know. what
2: do you mean, come on, Phil? This is a man that hasn't seen the Tony Meo Trophy. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's exceptional stuff. Very <laughs> impressed. But I think I, I think I was probably about twenty then. So we're talking we're talking forty years ago. I don't think my dad ever got a thirty break. To be fair, so but he did once break his cue in a frenzy of fury when uh, I had about two flukes in a row. Anyway. <laughs> We and his—it was quite an expensive cube, by the way. Uh, anyway, there we are. Snooker stories. I'm sure people listening to this can this that will resonate with the because it is a beautiful game, but it's also the most frustrating game in the world, isn't it? Really. Uh, anyway, uh, we 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 basically rebuilt our father-son relationship on the Green Bays, really, in Camden Town. And, uh, and we still talk. We don't play anymore, but we still talk about it. I mean, he's 83, um, but we still talk about it. We occasionally watch it together. Um, and We occasionally moan about the commentators or like everybody else, like everybody else. So that was my start off into snooker. And I've been, I mean, I've, motor racing was always my number one passion and it's how I've earned my money. But snooker was always a secret um almost as um, a, a, as much of a passion, actually secretly just as much, to be fair. I, I think that that's sort of not that exact story, obviously, but a lot of people have, it's
3: beyond just liking the sport, it's like an emotional connection. A lot of people say, oh, they remember watching it with the grandparents. And I think the game reminds them of people they've lost. You know, I think snooker sort of seems to resonate with people on an emotional level, more so than a lot of other sports, it seems.
1: Well, it's a sport that you can watch and play. I know that that, is the case of many sports it's not certainly not the case with formula 1 yeah. <laughs> uh, but it absolutely is with um with snooker and um you know i suppose I, I, I like i don't know what your view is about this but i regret the fact that snooker clubs are comparatively few and far between certainly in london i've always always lived in london um they they may be more numerous uh in other parts of the country still but the trouble with London is that real estate is so ludicrously valuable that, you know, I mean, the Camden snooker club in Delancey Street is now being made into mega posh flats because it wouldn't mm. make more money for the developers that way. But I think it's a shame. And there used to be uh, so many snooker clubs around. Uh, and there's now few and far between in London anyway. There are some, but there's few and far between. So I've actually got. I've actually got a John Paris queue, but it's hard to find a place to uh, to to play with it. No, we
3: think it's just pretty much that one in King's Cross, isn't it? That it is mm-hmm. very nice, but very expensive as well, which goes yeah. hand in hand with what you're saying. Who wants to stay alive, you know, they have got to charge you sort of fifteen quid an hour to get on the table.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Certainly wasn't that co- that price before. Having said that, the Camden Town Delancy Street Club was it regarded itself as a slight cut above. I mean, there were some dodgy places weren't there there were some (laughs) dives Uh, i remember playing in the in the snooker club at in kilburn high road when kilburn was quite dodgy and i was playing with my mate there and um again i'm going back more than 40 years into my teens and um while we were playing the the players on the next table were simply arrested in walked the police nicked them cuffed them and took them out everyone just carried on chalking their cue and you know, getting their eight breaks as everyone else does. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but Camden wasn't so much like, because in my mind, when you say like an old school school club in Camden
1: Town, I'm imagining that, but that was a bit more refined, was it? That, that, that was their plan. Their plan was yeah. that it, it would become that, yes. And mm-hmm. and there was good players in there and they took, they made effort with the tables, which is another thing, which is why you'd suddenly see Ray and appearing there, you know. Yeah, and, amazing. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, perhaps we'll ask you a bit more about motorsport love later, but just first, just to, it's an audio service, but you were showing me before you came on air that it's a, you know, where you are is a bit of a haven to, to the sport you love. Loads of books, loads of memorabilia. I mean, your love affair with motorsport, and I guess specifically F1, is profound, isn't it? You've been so heavily involved with it. You put up wonderful memories all the time on Twitter. I mean, you're, you're so ensconced in it, it's... It's just uh, such a huge deal for you, isn't it?
1: I mean, uh, we call ourselves F1 lifers. <laughs> uh, I am an F1 lifer. I am doing a life sentence. You know, <laughs> I am the Charles Bronson of Formula One. Um, well, there's, there's plenty of us. There's plenty of us. But uh, yeah, absolutely. I fell in love with the sport. I remember the exact moment. I was walking into a newsagent and I saw a magazine called Autosport, which, of course, is now well known and is, you know, very, very busy and successful website. But I'd never seen this. And my mum and dad didn't have any uh, interest in or or knowledge of Formula One. You have to remember, in those days, Formula One wasn't on the television. It was like being interested in bowls or croquet. Mm -hmm. It was not mainstream. Uh, football cricket rugby you know those sports were mainstream and and snooker became mainstream of course but formula one wasn't formula one was was weird and um and i loved cars because i had you know i I just one of these kids that walked down the street saying (laughs) morris marina austin princess blah 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 and um and annoying my mum by naming them as we walked to the shops when i was a little kid i mean I didn't do that when I was older. That would have been rather eccentric. <laughs> Hello, mother. I'm going to name every single car we pass. Shut up, son. Anyway, <laughs> I, I did it when I was six. Anyway, uh, and then I suddenly found when I was ten—I think nine or ten—I found Autosport, and I realised that there were such things as racing cars. So you could actually play sport in cars. I didn't know that. Nobody ever told me that. And when I, when I actually then began to read the race reports and look at the pictures of the cars. I thought, <laughs> I thought I must, this must've been invented for me only, only I could be interested in this. <laughs> and, uh, and here we are half a century later. And, you know, I've worked for two formula one teams. I was the, one of the founders of W series, which is a single seater racing series for female drivers. And I was proud of that. It hasn't thrived, but it was successful for a few years. I've, I've, edited magazines on the subject I've founded and contributed to websites I still write a weekly column for motorsport magazine website and I run my own agency in it all of it is part of my life sentence in Formula One (laughs) (laughs) what a way to sum it up I hope we don't refer to talking snooker one day as a life sentence Phil that's um
3: Know, it doesn't sound like a bad thing when you love it, to be fair. It didn't sound
1: like a negative. <laughs> yeah, no, true, true. But you 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 two are are snooker lifers, aren't you? Yeah. Oh oh so.
2: oh hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For, yeah, 40 years in my case, I'm counting. Yeah. Yes, yeah, couldn't escape it if I wanted to, which I think is a, isn't that a lyric of an old song almost? But um yeah, no, it's very much so. I mean, there are certain sp- you do you do actually sort of pick up love for sports, don't you? And maybe develop them more. But there were two or three, I think, that are that are there. For me, i guess it would be football and, yes, yeah, snooker. Probably a bit of golf as well. But, yeah, f- football and snooker, and you're, I guess you're probably the same, Phil. You, you know, they're just so inside. They're not going anywhere forever.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have it as some of your earliest memories, don't you? I mean, uh, uh, football, snooker and cricket really go as, as long back as I can remember. A bit of rugby as well, which I sort of lost the love for. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those three, Um yeah, as I say, some of my earliest memories of watching anything really of those sports and and certainly being interested and caring about something so much is football definitely from the start. So um, football is uh, the one I I often feel like I would like to escape but can't,
2: whereas,
1: <laughs> whereas snooker I've always sort of carried on genuinely loving. I think, I you know, I agree with you. Obviously, Formula One is, is how I've earned my, my money, so it's not just an enthusiasm it's a it's a job and and, and as i say a, a a life sentence albeit an enjoyable one and i'm not trying to you know jump the wall and uh, uh, uh and uh and make my uh, escape as you say <laughs> totally but, but i love I love <laughs> you know i love snooker as i've said and we'll be talking about in the next little while and i love i i've I all i'm an arsenal supporter i love uh, uh football and cricket i was uh, I, I think those are my sports really i suppose yeah
2: well, I saw the gun. The Gunners live a couple of weeks ago. They're a pretty good side at the moment. We must move on to, to sluker then. Uh, uh, here, Phil and Matt, and wh- well, wh- how much we got to talk about? My goodness me! And we'll, we'll move on to the games to come at the UK Championship uh, shortly. But first, Judgment Day, uh, Phil. An, o- an overall view of it. Again, what drama! It is a great formula for this sport, isn't it? And we, we, we're stuck on it, good and proper now. And to have it extended, not just at the World Championship, but into this, it's brilliant. It was presented so well to us, wasn't it? Rob Walker, David Hendon, Stephen Hallworth, what a superb team they were, going from table to table, taking us to all the drama. And it was just, throughout Wednesday and Thursday, thrilling stuff, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, it's brilliant. Um, we've we've long loved the the one at World, uh, World Championship qualifying, so to, we knew it wasn't going to fail because it's the same format, but... Um, yeah, it was a great couple of days. And like you said, Stephen and David did brilliant work. You know, you're basically commentating on four matches at the same time. And you could hear, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I enjoyed hearing it. Dave doing the sort of directing as well, telling people to jump to doing which tables. Um and they're long sessions because a lot of these matches uh go very edgy and deep. Um and there's not much gap between the afternoon and evening sessions. So it was a quick bite to eat for the men and straight back to it. So um, I hope those two have had a good lie down today because they deserve it because it was just fantastic work from the from both of them and everyone else who was uh, running that running that production and Rob Walker, of course. Um, so, yeah, so much drama. Um, yeah, really enjoyable. And um, I, I think this switch to the tiered system qualifying form at the UK has been uh, pretty much re- almost entirely uh, well received, doesn't
0: it?
2: I think so. And Matt, not all sports can do this. You talk about F1, I can't think of a way that that, for example, could really, I mean, they switch from card to car. to be fair. That's a thing they can do. But to have different matches in progress at the same time, we see it so well done with NFL. Some football channels do it, actually. But it means you just can't get bored for a moment because you're seeing important moments flash up all the time. Yeah,
1: I I, I, I see that. I mean, I'm, I must admit, I'm a purist. Uh, you know, I am a snooker purist and I'm a Formula One purist and I'm a football purist and I'm a cricket purist. So okay. my favourite cricket, for instance, is test matches. I know, yeah. you know, I, I understand absolutely that 2020 was a wonderful um, uh, 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 development. But, you know, for me, it's, it's five days and stop for lunch and stop for tea and watch someone grinding out an inning. So going back to snooker, uh, you know I'm I love all I love watching oh I don't like the shootout by the way. I must admit I don't like the shootout. Um, we can come to that if we've got time, but I'm not ba- not mad about that but apart from that okay you know I, I like the long form matches. I don't mind you know getting settling in to a long you know uh, 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 obviously with the worlds it comes up to best of 35 by the end but you know I don't mind that. I don't mind having a one-hour frame where you've got, you know, Selby grinding it out, and some people, you know, go and make a cup of tea or do whatever they do. But I'm, I'm glued to it. I'm, I'm. I wouldn't say I'm just as happy to watch Selby grinding it out as watching Lizowski make a sparkling century, but almost, almost. I, I love. I love it all. So, <laughs> so yes, I completely get what you say. But I wouldn't get bored anyway. Um, you know, I, <laughs> no. I'm a fan.
2: <laughs> no, no, we, you're right. It, it, for those of us who love the game, it's hard to get bored anyway. But I just think that format, I mean, it wouldn't work all the time. It, you know, there are times, of course, you want to settle, settle and focus on one match and then you get the total nuance of what's happening during, you know, the, the three or four hours of drama or whatever it is. But I just like, you know, it's almost like a an adrenaline rush or so as much as you can get from this sport, I guess, when you get those, those you know, you just... You know, you, as, you, as you're right, it's so well-directed and you're a crucial pot here, a big break here. And when it's coming to the climax as well, I think it's just, yeah, really good. But yeah, no, definitely. We're in the right company on this uh, podcast where it's about long-form matches. And I'm sure most of the listeners will be nodding in agreement with you there, Matt. But let's take you through the results then from the first of the two judgment days. And, well, I saw you you, you said something like, player to avoid Claxon, Phil Hague on Twitter. Well, that's Ding jin you who beat, will be Williams 6-3. And uh, another uh, very strong player to go through, Tep Unnu, Unnu, who beat Ricky Walden, uh, 6-3. Uh, Walden made two centuries to one in that, but Tep won through. Uh, Nopon Sienkang beat Wu Yiza, 6-4. It was Fan Zhengzhi, 6, Michael White, 5. Really dramatic match that went all the way. Jamie Jones, 6, Zach Surti, 4. Really good one, one from Surti there, and he, he came close to making it, and that really would have been so big for him. Uh, Anthony McGill, six. Anthony Hamilton, two. Really strong for McGill, actually. Breaks of 92, 81, 70 and 50 from him. It was Matthew Seltz, six. Lou Hausham three. And then Jamie Clark, six. David Gilbert, five. Well, I watched a fair bit of this film. What a scrap. I mean, one on the black went to about 11 minutes. It was a real old battle. And uh, a bit of chuntering going on towards the end as well. I think that was a bit of a, you know, it was one of those where you, whoever lost it was going to be horrible. And unfortunately for Dave, it was him. <laughs> Yeah,
3: I mean, I didn't see that much, actually. Um, but I've seen the frame scores. I think uh, Clark made one half century, which is a 62. Um, so, you know, it wasn't a vintage performance for him, but it doesn't matter when you get the W. Um, and, yeah, I mean, there was all sorts going on. I watched that Ding game, and he looked very strong. Um, Tep Chai Wadham was, you know, that's a great game. They played a to a decider in World Championship Qualifying Judgment Day as well with Temp punching the table. which You don't see much from him. Uh, <coughs> it shows what these judgment days can do to people. Um, yeah, and no, I agree. McGill, he's still using that carbon cue in his glove and he's starting to look pretty good with it. Um, when he started <laughs> those first tournament or two, not so much. He was scraping through a couple of wins, but, um, yeah, he's looking strong. And, uh, yeah, Fancenji, I thought, looked good as well. I was um, He beat Michael White, who... Uh, was making something of a fashion statement. and uh, This will be under your fixtures and fittings label, Nick. But a lovely sort of burnt orange shirt with his uh, black waistcoat, which I don't think we're seeing enough of the sort of colourful stuff of, of the past. But Michael White bringing it back impressively there.
2: Burnt orange. My God. Uh, uh, I, I feel like I need to give you a yellow card for that. I mean, that is that is quite fixture and fittingsy. What is that? Well, it was being described as red on, on commentary, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> man, it looked it looked good, whatever it was. <laughs> I'm sure it did. Um, and well, Matt, let's ask you about some of the, you know, maybe Ding Wei, who's a player that I'm sure you you've enjoyed watching over the years. He, he is a superstar, isn't he? Hard one to get your head around recently because he's just not winning the, the, the stuff that you know he should for a guy of his talent. But um, you know, when he fires, you know, he's he, he's a just a joy, isn't he?
1: You know, you obviously some of the players you've just mentioned uh um I, I might have more to say about than others but ding certainly yes i mean i mean if you look at his uh, you know his cv if you look at how many ranking tournaments he's won um but they've i mean he actually did win the uk not very long ago did he comparatively not long ago but um but otherwise he's had a bit of a dry spell a bit of a long dry spell and for a player of his quality you just watch it and you you shrug and you think, what is going on, mate? What is going on? Because when he's in the balls, when he is in the balls, he is one of those players, more than many. I mean, Ronnie's like this too, but um, he's one of these players that makes the game look so incredibly easy. And the reason he makes it look so easy is that he's always in perfect position. So he doesn't have to do much with the white ball, with the cue ball, you know, because if he's around, if, if the reds are spread and the, The pink and the black is around and free in in available pockets. He's just doing little cannons and nudges and stun run-throughs and screws, but he's not moving the white ball, the cue ball, very far, and suddenly he's won the frame. That's what I associate with him, and I love watching that, the economy uh, of planning and execution that, that he is capable of doing. And yet you can just see him, you know, and his head will go down, and you can see him getting beaten by you know what? By somebody who really shouldn't be in the same breath as him in terms of pure skill. <laughs> I don't mean to name anyone, but you. I you thought you were
2: going to say room. That was a very famous snooker quote from yesteryear from Stephen Hendry. Shouldn't even he be in the
1: same room as me. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I could have used that. I could have. <laughs> but um, but you take my point. I mean, yeah. what do you think's up with Ding Junhui? He, he's
3: spoken about you know. What you described there, because he's become sort of a lot more um, demonstrative with how he's feeling. I think in his sort of peak, um, you wouldn't get a lot of emotion out of him, but now it's very clear when he's annoyed. Um, and I think he's just frustrated with himself that he can't, he's not hitting the standards that he knows he's capable of on a regular basis. And, you know, lockdown really uh, hurt his game um, sort of off the table more than anything, being away from his family for so long. Um, and he didn't quite recovered that. He's not far off, but I think he's just become a much more frustrated player. Which yeah, he's seen a lot of other players, but it's, it's seeped into his game rather than being a natural sort of personality trait. Um, but when he, yeah, when he's firing, he can still he still looks as good as ever. But it's strange. We spoke about it on here. I mean, he, was, he was sort of four one up in a game earlier this season, and he was sat with his head in his hands, just annoyed with himself about how he was playing. Um, so it's just. Yeah, he's he's battling himself more than anything. But if he can get over that, he's still a young man. Um, He could still achieve great things in the game. But um, there is also a technical thing, which I won't go into too much because that's not my uh, strong suit. But he's got a little pause in his uh, backswing, in his delivery, that um, wasn't there before. And a lot of people said that's really harming him. So I'm not sure where that's crept in from. Um,
1: But I think there are two reasons there why he's struggling a bit. That's interesting. That is interesting. I hadn't noticed that. Um, do you think that would be deliberate or he's just allowed that to come into his game without really knowing?
3: I feel I feel the latter because um, it, it almost looks, it's not yips or, you know, like dartitis or however you describe it in snooker, but it almost looks like he's got a little touch of that, but he does deliver it eventually in the end, so it's, it's not stopping him, but it's almost this a bit of hesitancy. So I can't imagine he's meant to do it, um, but I don't think it's helping him. No.
1: I suppose he, you know, he used to, you know, there was a year, wasn't there? Was it about 10 years ago when he won five ranking tournaments in one of the few people that's done that? And he, you know, he just looked so strong and so on it and so kind of compact and together. And and, and I suppose that must give any sports person a spring in their step and a and a peace of mind. And if you if you've got peace of mind and a spring in your step. And I mean, you can be very dangerous in a positive way. And, and I suppose he doesn't have that now. So whether it's the yips or the dartitis or whatever you've identified, that he can't be feeling confident as he walks into the, into the arena, whereas he used to. You mentioned another player in that little roundup, which is Stepchaya Unnu, And I, I know I just criticised the, the shootout and I said I didn't like it, but I did like watching him win it. Mm-hmm. And do you remember that break? What was it? 130-something in about 12 seconds. Yeah. Or it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, you know, when you see him doing that, you think, why haven't you won, you know, 10 ranking tournaments? Yeah. What, what, why haven't you? Mm. And that's one of the joys and frustrations of snooker, isn't it? Because yeah. you, you look at these people and you think you're brilliant. You are as good you are as good in doing that as anyone who's ever picked up a cue in the last hundred years. And yet you, you're patchy, you're patchy. And, and that's because so much of snooker is played in the mind, not on the table. But what do you think of other, do they call him Feppy? I'm told they're call, they call him Feppy. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, he's an absolute delight, isn't he? I mean, he's one of those guys, as you say, when he's, when he's flying, you think this is just the most thrilling thing you could watch. And I agree. I mean, you're, you're expressing yourself, you know, beautifully here about, the, some of the some of the eternal fascinations with this sport because me and Phil say it time and again we we sort of said it in a different level about Tom Ford recently yeah. who of course has been coming to the fore in recent weeks that's like you know he's he just one of the best the best you can see in the game and you think well why is he not doing it more regularly but you're right and having spoken to players for so so many years many will expressly say the mental side of it is the most important if that's if that's in place if you're feeling good you know. And we've seen it with people like Mark Allen recently, haven't we? With with how he's got himself into such a you know more more a more sort of happy state, you know, privately off the table. It's manifesting itself on the table. I'm not suggesting that Tep Trio and Tom Ford haven't have got unhappiness off the table. Um, there are all kinds of reasons why you might not be as mentally, you know, uh feeling so good about your game as as other times. And so listen, and it's a bit simplistic. Um it's God-given as well, isn't it, it's to some extent. I mean, you can change your, your your mental outlook, but you kind of got the brain and the mind you're given as well a little bit, isn't it? So some guys are sort of blessed with that ability a bit more to start with, and they're very fortunate. Whereas for others, trying to get into that more positive mindset is, is, um, is harder work, isn't it, Matt, if you get my
1: drift? I think it is. And there's an interesting thing to add to that, which is that in some sports, the concept of form – are you in form or, or are you not in form, is kind of respected and understood. Cricket is an example. You can say a certain batsman, batter, you're supposed to say now, a yeah. certain batter is, um, is in form. And, you know, and he hit three centuries in a row and then he hit a, a sparkling 71 and, and so on and so forth. But the same player can be out of form and, you know, where you would, um, and there's a bit of luck sometimes because where you might have played and missed, when you were on 11 and then you go on to make a double century you might have got the edge and been caught in slip so you know th- this happens in sport by the way in formula 1 people don't allow the concept of form you're always supposed to be on absolutely tip top yeah. form and there is no <laughs> There's yeah. no tradition for allowing for, you know, <laughs> we've got 22 races this year and I was on form except at uh, Monaco and Monza. I wasn't on form. That's not allowed. That's not allowed. <laughs> anyway, but form is a thing. And, uh, and, uh, and as you say, you called it God-given or whatever-given, but there is such a thing as form. And we talked about it. It can be confidence and spring in the step and peace of mind, but it can just be. I was seeing, you know, the pockets like goal, ma- goal mouths and the balls were flying in and I couldn't do anything wrong. Or, you know, everything, you know, I've sli- I got the old kick and, and then, you know, and then there was a fluke against me. And I went, then I went in off and blah, blah, blah. And suddenly you've got um, a downward spiral. I mean, another player we could mention in this context, who's a player that I'm like everybody, I'm sure, would love to see him finally break his duck and win um, a ranking tournament is Jack Lizowski, Mm. who is, you know, as brilliant on, just like I was talking about Fep Chaya, you know, on form, there is nothing better than watching Jack Lizowski bang in a century. But um, how has he not won a ranking tournament? I know in recent years, he's been, you know, he's, he's been there or thereabouts. He's got in finals. He's got in semis. He's got in quarters. His ranking is in, in the teens most of the time. So he's there or thereabouts, and he qualifies for the Masters and all the rest of it. When is he ever going to win one? You tell me. <laughs>
2: That's the million-dollar question, isn't it, Phil?
3: <laughs> it is, yeah. I mean, I'm still confident it'll happen. I sort of feel with him, I don't know why, but I think when he does, it's going to be a big one as well, you know, something like I, next week. I, think that. I um, think that. Yeah, rather than just now getting the Championship League on the board or something. I'd be delighted with that, obviously. But, um, yeah, I mean, him and Tepchai are sort of in the same bracket, aren't they? It seems to be sort of decision-making and uh, um, shot choices. You know, as you say, the talent is absolutely not in question. But, yeah. Um, it's it's the it's the thought process I guess and that's why it's often tepshire um people sort of speak of him as if he's sort of an upcoming player but he's he's not far off 40 but it's just the way he plays it's sort of a man and, who and hasn't he looks good but
1: yeah, true. yeah.
3: He plays a game of someone who's not accrued much experience. Really, I think that's the problem. But he has. So um, I guess people, some people, just learn quicker than others. I mean, Jack Lasowski always talks about how he's a slow learner, and he, I sort of think he's being hard on himself. But sometimes it, that's how his game looks. Sometimes.
1: Well, I'm not tipping him for the UKs uh, this year, but but if I'm not mistaken, I believe that he's assuming he and his great friend. Judd-Trump, win their early matches, they're due to meet quite early, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. And usually, I mean, they're mates, but Judd kind of has the upper hand by quite some considerable degree, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. So one would normally expect, and and by the way, Judd-Trump is on sensational form, as we know. So <clears throat> if if Judd wins that, then obviously that's the end of, um, of, of Jack's uh, UK. But if Jack did win that, then I'd... Then I would think that um, that he has a. But how many times have we said this sentence? By the way, <laughs> but but did he have a chance? Although he would be due to meet Selby uh, if Selby won his matches as well. And you know, nobody's harder to beat than Selby. And I think, you know, Selby's the kind of player that Jack can still crumble and his head can go down because he can mm-hmm. be ground into depression, really, and then defeat. Yeah. Uh, yeah.
2: No, you're right. Some fascinating thoughts there on, on the number of players. The thing I say about Ding, of course, impossible to predict. You mentioned Matt is UK win. I think it was in 19. He also reached the final last year. That, that was out of nothing. Both those. He had no form before and showed no form after. And yet, I also, like you, for. I said that before. I think Jack, if he does win one, and I think when he does win one, will kind of it won't be a Dave Gilbert thing I think it will be a big one it's just just that feeling I have let's move on to the second uh, day's results then on judgment day that was on on Thursday yesterday here in the UK and it was one Sidgian six Ken Doherty three one ending the hopes of 54 year old uh, Doherty there Uh, Ben Wollaston six Lucas Kleckers one thumping win for Wollaston Joe O'Connor, 60, for Maguire, 3. And that was a real result, Phil, because we were kind of tipping maybe Maguire looking quite good of late. But breaks of 76, 68, 54, 67 and 60 from O'Connor. Mark Joyce, 6, Joe Perry, uh, 4. Notable win there for Mark. Uh, Pang jung Su 6, Craig Stedman, 2. Uh, Hossein Rafai, 6, Scott Donaldson, 4. Uh, Elliot Slessor, 6, David Lilly, 3. Have to talk about one of the most unlikely incidents of okay. David Lilly Screwing the cue ball back after potting the green, dropping the chalk and then screwing the cue ball going over that chalk. So it was a foul shot. I mean, that was just head in hand stuff. Quite extraordinary. Xiao uh, Yulong beating Ian Burns 6-5. That's a painful one for Burns there. He was 5-3 up, but Xiao came back to win. But let's ask you, Matt, about that incident. I mean, you, we've all seen everything, but the chalk dropping. OK, that's fair enough. The ball to go over it.
1: Oh, no horrible i I, I saw it actually it was a good shot wasn't it? he screwed back perfectly Um, (laughs) so he judged it perfectly but um you know i've watched it a few times just uh, because the first time you think what's gone on Mm -hmm. and then the second time you watch it and you think the chalk's not on the table it's not like he's left it there but just at that moment it just pops out of his waistcoat pocket onto the base and the the white ball grazes it. Presumably, obviously, if, if it, the white ball hadn't hit it, it wouldn't have been a foul. Mm. It was it was just the fact that there was a collision, and you just look at it and you think that you know. There's a famous phrase, isn't there? What are the odds of that happening? And um, <laughs> it, you know, or, or or even where's the cue ball going? As uh, <laughs> as a certain commentator would have said. But anyway, <laughs> it's um, it, it's uh, it was an extraordinary uh, moment, and. Um, that is snooker. You know, that that is, yeah, that and is. It's a very, very, very odd freak thing to happen. But but that's the point. You know, you can so easily go in off and then if you didn't go off, it rattled in the jaws, you you might have made a, a, a one visit uh, frame winning break. Do you see what I'm saying?
2: It's a bit like cricket, isn't it? I'm thinking of when the ball hits the helmet behind the isn't that five runs? I thought you always used to be. It's like it, it's all as mad as that, Phil Haig, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah,
3: lovely little quirks to the game, are not they? Yeah, um, yeah. and no, I'd never seen that before. And his
1: reaction was... I mean, I felt for him, but it was very funny at the same time. I'll tell you what, he's not going to keep the chalk in that pocket again. Going True, yeah.
2: <laughs> Well, Stephen Hallworth found it very funny, didn't he? Uh, yeah. He was absolutely loving it in commentary. And I think, yeah, Dave, Dave made a point about that. I'm sure everyone would be the same to you. But it was funny, wasn't it? Uh, you know, but uh, But in terms of those matches, I mean... You know, it was lots to sort of think about there and, you know, but yeah, I say the last one's really painful. Ian Burns is looking so good there, but Zhao sort of finished really strongly and didn't do an awful lot wrong. But that's that feels like that that would be such a sore one for him.
3: It will, because, um, you know, Burns doesn't win a whole lot of games on tour, really. And he suddenly burst into life in this uh, in this tournament, uh, 6-0 in the first round against. Uh, amateur, amateur. Well, fair enough. He, he was favourite to win that. Then six 0 against Liam Highfield was, a, was an upset, and then six two against Jack Jones. Um, you know, it wasn't three games and only dropped two frames, and then he was looking good to beat Zhou Yulong as well. So it was really sort of his best run for ages, and it could have been, yeah, really dreamy to get to the to the Barbican. But you know, Zhou long's is a really really good player. He's been in that category of best players not to win a tournament for a little while now. He's on the fringe of the top sixteen he's still only very young himself. Um, he's been around a little while now because he yambing to when the world cup, when they were still at school. <laughs> so, um, he's still going to develop into one of the best players in the world. Um, so yeah, no shame in losing, but a tough one. Um, but yeah, you were right in picking out Joe kind against Maguire. I thought that was a fantastic result for Joe. Um, Maguire has been in good form and Joe's not really, he's not done a lot this season so far. Um, he, would scraped through against Ollie line six, five, which is a good win in itself, but to beat Maguire. Yeah. Really good effort. And, uh, and set up an interesting match in York against John Higgins, who he's beaten twice before, so he won't be scared. Um, And, yeah, that's good to see from Joe, because I I really rate him as a player, actually. He got to his first final last season, and as I said, hadn't kicked on so much so far this campaign, but, um, yeah, encouraging stuff there. And um, like a few people, I imagine, because it was the only one still going on the afternoon session on Thursday, I watched the end of Mark Joyce against Joe Perry, where Joe Perry was hunting down snookers, for so long there to go off the air and just leave it. And so you'll have to find out later if he if he managed to get them. Um, and he didn't get them, unfortunately, for Joe. But it was, a, it was a fantastic effort. And like you said earlier, Matt, you know, it's not all knocking in centuries. Um, I was loving watching that for as long as it lasted.
2: <laughs> He's got Selby, isn't he? That's good preparation there. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Ideal preparation. But yeah, that's all part of the game, isn't it? And. Um... You're right. Not just about the big breaks. We, we love those moments as well. And there was so much to enjoy in Judgment Day. And we're now going to move on, of course, because the big stage is upon us. The Barbican Centre in York. What a fabulous uh, nine days to come. And you are listening here to Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf and our special guest, Matt Bishop.
1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. void. prohibited by law. See terms
2: and conditions 18 plus. And let's move on then to the UK Championship and uh, smashing week to come. We can't wait for it all. Not a bad way to kick off, Phil. Not bad. Mark Allen, Ding, Jim, Wee. of the final. Rob Walker. What, an, what a classic Rob. I can't believe it. But do you, you see the way he sort of claimed that it was Ivan Hersevich, um, showing some rare emotion? I was just li- literally just sitting there writing something down. I mean, that's, yeah. that, he probably probably got a smile out of him. And that was just, just sitting there <laughs> quietly writing. And the, anyway, so it's a repeat of last year. But to be fair, there has been a win for things since then in a really big event, the Tour Championship. But that was a painful one last year. And for the Saturday afternoon crowd, those of us watching on television, absolute cracker.
3: Yeah, amazing, yeah. Uh, What a way to start. Um, Yeah, that final, Ding was 6-1 up, I think, if my memory serves. So, And, yeah, I remember after that afternoon session, which finished 6-2 then, I remember Ronnie O'Sullivan being on punditry duty for Eurosport and just really slating Alan's performance, saying he couldn't remember anyone playing so badly on the big stage. Um, Which, you know, he had played poorly, but then obviously he turned it around in spectacular style uh, in the afternoon, in the evening, sorry. I don't remember Ding sort of crumbling. Alan just um, powered up as it were. Um, so yeah, what a start, uh, Alan in fine form after the champion of champions, ding looking good. So, um, Alan's going to be favorite, I imagine, but you know, you're not gonna be surprised whichever way that one goes. I,
1: I think it's an interesting, uh, match or for a for hundred reasons, but one reason is that in a sense, you know, they, they, they're, they're kind of, um, temperamental snooker journey over the past few years has gone almost in opposite directions yeah, you know, yeah. one was a uh, both fine players obviously both fine players goes without saying top players but uh, you know Mark Allen's lost four stone you know whatever that is in kilograms in in new money it's a lot of weight uh he, he's he's sometimes changed his style of play you know there have been a couple of I think at tournaments, there was one that he attracted a lot of negative publicity for turning himself temporarily into Cliff Thorburn. (laughs) And then then he suddenly, but he did well. He did well. He won it, I think, didn't he? And and he has won a lot lately. Um, And now he walks out into the arena with confidence expecting to win, which perhaps he didn't do when he was, you know, a chubby guy waddling around the table, not always winning. And now Ding Junhui, sorry if you're listening, Mark, to call you a chubbly, chub, chubby guy <laughs> waddling around. But anyway, there you go. Anyway, you're very fit and thin now. It's all good. Um, but Ding, the other way around, no weight change, but uh, hasn't got the spring in the step anymore. And it's an interesting, you know, it's not that long ago you'd have looked at that and said, Ding's a favourite. Now you say, Alan's a favourite. Bye, mm-hmm. bye, easy.
2: Yeah, interesting thoughts there. Mark Williams against Fang Zhengzi then. Uh, Mark's won their two previous meetings, uh, but obviously fans just had a top win over Michael White in, in qualifying. I mean, i y- are y- saying you express yourself beautifully. I can imagine you will about Mark Williams, Matt. He is some uh, extraordinary player to watch, isn't he? I mean, the way he flows the balls in, he's just uh, a dream. And uh, well, he's already won the tournament this season, so you know he, he likes a big stage. We know that, so you you wouldn't bet against him having a run. Although this isn't the the, the most comfortable of starts for him,
1: it's. Isn't it interesting? You use the, the the verb there that he floats the ball in. That's become a Mark Williams verb, hasn't it? That's what yeah. that's his verb. You know, that's how that's how he gets the balls in the pockets. He floats them in. And by the way, there are other words that uh, that apply to other um, uh, players. If a commentator says, "Now let's have a look at that Rolls Royce cue action." You know it's Sean Murphy, you know it's Sean Murphy. There are other people who've got great cue actions but somehow Sean Murphy's got the Rolls-Royce. Anyway, going back to, ah. to Pat Williams. Yeah, I mean, he is an extraordinary player and he's obviously the the CV, the, the success, the longevity, all of those things are are stunning. But there's also this um this kind of rather this swagger this, I don't practice very hard and I don't care if I win or lose, but by the way, I do win quite a lot. <laughs> and, you know, playing snooker escapes underarm with one hand and, you know, entertaining, unusual, floating pots. And, yeah, look, I, 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 I don't know Fang Zengdry very well, um, but but, you know, big job for him to beat Mark Williams, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's just a bit of a shame on
3: that Saturday afternoon. It's on the same time as Alan and Ding, because we'll all be watching that one, I think. But it's always a shame to be missing any Mark Williams match, because he's usually very near the top of my list for players to watch. And and there was a remarkable tease from Alan McManus at the last tournament, the Champions Champions, when he revealed that Mark Williams has invented a new shot. That he'd shown him on the practice table, and McManus was blown away by. And we never got to see it at the Champion of Champions, and I still don't know what it is. And I'm fascinated to know because I can't even imagine what it could be. But if we
1: see it next week in York, yeah, that's something to look forward to. I, I bet we. Do, well, I don't obviously know what it is. I haven't got a clue. But um, knowing the kind of that kind of nonchalant swagger of of Mark Williams, you know, he'll get in the final and he'll he'll reveal it. Uh, in the deciding frame, <laughs> yeah, <That's> it,
2: yeah. <laughs> that is exactly the sort of thing he would do. Um, found the tournament winner, of course. So you know, he's he, you know he's he's no stranger to, to delivering you know unlikely results. But yeah, obviously you know you, you fancy marking that one. But I tell you who does look vulnerable: Kyron Wilson. Phil, I mean, against uh, Jamie Clark, uh I may mean, be no quarter given in that one. That could be a, a, a real old. Scrap a real old battle, actually. Kyron has won both their previous meetings, but Jamie Clark, of course, matched sharp after beating David Gilbert in that deciding frame we talked about. Kyron not with the best of seasons so far. He may come good, of course, but he, he might find that one tough, eh?
3: Yeah, Clark's a bit of an unpredictable player, as, as, as most are, really. Um, but yeah, he's had a great run through there, beating Jordan Brown and David Gilbert. They're two really good wins. Um and Kyron just yeah had a bad season by his standards, um by a lot of people's standards, really. It's been very disappointing. Um but I mean clearly Kyron's still the favourite, but you wouldn't you wouldn't be too surprised either way there. I mean, I don't want to say that after every after every draw, but I had a look at last year and it was seven out of the sixteen qualifiers did win. So we are looking at a, a good chances for these guys to qualifying. Um but Kyron has been good in the UK in recent years. Um he fell a bit early last year, but semi-final before that, a couple of quarters. Um but yeah, he's he's not been he's not gonna be sharp because he's he's actually barely won a match since he quarter finals in Germany in the European um back in August. Um, that's gonna feel like a long time ago because he yeah, he really hasn't won many matches at all since then. So it could be a sticky one for him.
2: And We talk about, of course, um yeah, things that are hard to avoid saying. It, it really, I mean, I think of it more, the crucible, but it's, it's also the same here. It's really hard to avoid saying that the other guys are match Sharp. Um, in fact, it might come more into its own in Sheffield because the players haven't played so much before then. But now the tournaments are coming a bit more thick and fast. It's probably not quite as, as relevant as it is with Sheffield. But it's no doubt that if you played in those qualifiers, you know, you're, you're going into it feeling with like a, you know, real confidence. And, you know, that... Probably be the case for Nopon Sandcam against Tom Ford then, which is a match coming up on on Saturday night. We talked about Tom Ford already on here, Matt. I mean, he, he's got so much incentive now just into the top sixteen. Can he try and stay there for the Masters? I mean, it would be some effort, wouldn't it, for a guy at that age to you know to to play at the Masters?
1: I think it's he's an example of something I sometimes say. You know, you look at the top sixteen and you you think the top 16 should have 32 players in it really <laughs> um <laughs> because there's 32 players that should be in the top 16 and and you know I know he is now he is isn't he he's just made it yeah it, he's yeah, just it. but he, he hasn't always been there but then you look at other players that are outside the top 16 and and you think well he certainly should be in the top 16 you know so um so so I see that and but but you know it, it's a it's an absolute example of the the strength in depth that there is now in 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 snooker and that which means that you know you mentioned just just now you mentioned Kyron wilson what's he number eight or something like that and uh, and and, uh you know jamie clark is ranked much lower and yet you wouldn't be sure that Kyron wilson's (laughs) gonna win that match at all and and i think tom ford has just grinded his way up there he's a fine player fine player obviously and he's been around a long time how old is he in fact Forty. I think he's just got his forties, yeah. Forty. There you are. Having said that, that means he's only just a bit older than um Tech Chiron Nu, by the way.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even though even though he looks like he he, he is quite a bit old. anyway, never mind. But um yeah, no, I I think that's an example of the kind of person that the kind of player that can um find their way back in. You know, Anthony Hamilton's another one, a fine player. But ranking isn't great, but you know that when he's on form, his break building is sensational he won the German Masters didn't he a few years ago Mm. and I I was so chuffed sorry I've used that word again I was so (laughs) chuffed for him to 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 win it you know um anyway yeah Tom Ford same kind of um, not the same kind of personal player in some ways as Anthony Hamilton but the same thing you know a player who's been around a long long time who's a very good player and is one of the players who should always have been in the Top sixteen, even though there isn't room for the thirty-two players that should be there. Yeah, exactly. I actually spoke to
3: Tom yesterday, the day before, but um, there'll be an interview coming out uh, on the latest night or Saturday morning. And uh, interesting to speak to, actually. Um, he's sort of is uh, he's a he's a glass half empty character. I think it's fair to say because I I started the interview by saying, oh, ah. "No, congratulations on the top 16, and He immediately went, "Well, yeah, for now."
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure you were going to reveal that. I thought you might. know no, that's lovely. You texted me straight away, didn't you? I like that. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, he's a, he's a funny guy. But yeah, it's certainly, uh, it's all, <laughs> he struggles to look on the brighter side of things, I think is a fair way of saying it.
2: Well, we can all get in patches like that. Um, Sunday, Luca Bassel won the I'm interested to hear what you think about Luca generally, um, Matt, in the context of first time Crucible winners, which we've seen struggle. I wouldn't quite say Luca's. I wouldn't go far struggling. He's just having a, quite a moribundish season, really. Um, but there's a unique pressure, isn't there, when you've won that tournament for the first time, especially at his age, relatively young, compared to maybe some other winners of late, You know, to deliver the next season when you've hit that those heights. It's human nature. I think we're seeing that from him, aren't we, so far? He's had a couple of good runs, but generally he's finding life quite hard work as a first-time world champion.
1: Yeah I mean don't forget of course he wasn't favorite to win the world championship by any means when he did win it and um but he's he's a he's got a wonderful touch player when he's in form um but you know again there's another chubby man uh who's um you know I don't practice by the way are they do you think it's bravado this I don't practice business or do you think it's true
2: I think it's slightly exaggerated that's my answer for you
1: yeah there you go so anyway but he has said that from time to time hasn't he yeah. and yeah he won the world championship and it was a, a you know he won his his form in that final was stupendous and um although he had his moments of fear but it was stupendous and overall and and now yes he's had a, a lean time but you know he could still as a touch player i think he could still bounce back he, he, you know he should he should win his first match in 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 the uk one would hope and you know it depends who he meets and it depends what happens afterwards but he reminds me actually of a formula one driver he reminds me of kevin magnuson uh, both brilliantly talented and uh, they actually sound alike which is odd when luca is belgian and kevin is danish but when they speak english for some reason the accent comes out quite similar you know put them in youtube you'll see what i'm on about <laughs> okay. anyway um but they're both very very talented you sometimes feel that maybe you know they enjoy a few night outs with their mates a little bit more than perhaps some of the more dedicated others if you see what I mean and and that is the nature of sport sometimes you have to knuckle down and knuckle down some more and knuckle down some more after that and maybe Luca hasn't always done that we'll see what happens how old is he now let's still in his 20s isn't he late yeah. 20s 28 29 now yeah 28 yeah yeah so he could play for another 10 years and, and you know is he going to be someone who wins you know two or three tournaments um or is he suddenly going to dial into a you know a Judd Trump style you, you know Juddernot or 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 a um a Neil Robertson style Robernot or whatever you want might call it
2: <laughs> 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 suddenly... <laughs> oh god you're christian you're christening snooker phrases for us here Matt. this is this is priceless stuff. A oh, Robert Nault. If he goes on a winning run. Um, I spoke to Neil Robertson in recent days, and he's saying there's nothing wrong with his game, by the way. He's, he's pulling it down to a number of disappointments and mishaps, and you can see that story on Sporting Life. Neil's still talking a good game, and he's saying, you know, he's got his big trip to Australia, and he expects to come back from that refresh. But he's also saying, no reason why he can't win this. He's saying he's flying in practice. So um, that was a nice little mention there, just while I remember to say it. Yeah, so obviously, Luca favourite. They played one match nearly a decade ago, which Luca won. so not really relevant. Uh, One had one good run this season to the quarterfinals of the Northern Ireland Open. But obviously, you make Luca favourite. Phil, Zhang and Elliot Slesser on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Zhang beat uh, Slesser 4-1 at the recent English Open. And he's having a marvellous season. But obviously, you know, Slesser will go in with confidence with that win over David Lilly. Um, but uh, we just keep saying that, you know, what we've been saying for a few weeks now, saying just a, a revelation of, of recent weeks and months.
3: Yeah, 100 percent. One of the stars of the season. You know, Judge Trump is very hard to topple from that um, position uh, so far. But Zhang's not far behind him. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, the international championship, um, it won't get the sort of kudos because it's not one of the traditional ones. But in terms of the format and everything about it, prizeman is not far off. It's not too far off the UK championship. And Zhang won that very impressively. So there's no reason why he can't challenge. And, uh, yeah, if he gets past Schleser and Luca Brussel won his first game, then they would meet in the second round, which I'd be fascinated to see. To see, you know, a player that, as you said, I wouldn't go as far as struggling, but hasn't done anything yet this season, uh, other than that running Shanghai, which is very good, um, against one who is flying in Zhang. So that would be very interesting. Um, Schleser is, is a real Tough cookie, uh, very dogged and determined. Very good on his day. Um, he doesn't show it often, as often as he could do. But um, yeah, Zhang's in such good form, and you can't really back against him. Um, even in that defeat to, uh, to Ding at the Champion Champions, uh, he, he produced some great stuff. Uh, so really looking forward to seeing him again. Just how long he can ride this wave for? Um, we won't know until it stops how how much it's just a purple patch or he's at a new level where he's going to stay. Um, but yeah,
1: I'm looking forward to seeing if it can last through the week in York as well. Yeah, well, you you mentioned his possible second round clash there, which would be fascinating if, presuming they both get through their first round matches. And I mentioned a little while ago the possible clash in the second round between Judd Trump and Jack Klesowski, which would be, which is going to be galvanising, compelling TV for sure. But there are, of course, you can never say, because you don't know that the player you have in mind is going to win his first round match. But assuming some of them or all of them do, there are some very, very tasty second round matches, aren't there?
3: Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. When you get down to 32 players, then it gets spicy very quickly. I mean, there's some great first round matches, but yeah, if if the favourites come through, then uh, yeah, it gets very interesting immediately.
2: And that's what they changed the format for, isn't it? Let's be clear that, that we, we we have that. So, can I say gravitas, Phil? I don't use that word very often, as you know, but occasionally <laughs> you like to chuck it in. I'll tell you what sessions... Uh, session I'm looking forward to. I mean, loads of them. But Sunday night, I'm actually going to be on a train back from Merseyside to London. And I'll tell you what, I hope the old Wi-Fi uh, is behaving itself because Sean Murphy, Hossein Refai and Ali Carter, Matthew Sell. I love the contrast in those two matches, actually. And with uh, Sean <laughs> as... Um, we, we know well the tournament this season but have been a bit up and down since Hossein, you know always capable of a run he reached the semi-finals at, at the British Open and then of course the other side um, could be very intense is the, is the word I've written down here uh, between Carter and Self. Uh Ali having a pretty good season one final one quarter final and uh, well the thing that came to my mind about Selt was of course he beat Judge Trump didn't he at this event uh, memorably two years ago so uh, always capable of sort of t- toppling, you know, the, the biggest talents in the game type thing. But yeah, that's that's one for me. I've got it in my diary, Phil. Sunday night, contrasting matches, proper UK Championship snooker.
3: <laughs> yeah, sure. I think intense is the right word. They're, I think they're quite good mates, Carter and Selt. So I don't know if they'll take slight the edge of, sort of manic intensity off it or not. I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> they're both two um, fiery characters. Um, but yeah, it'd be hard to. Not be watching Murphy Viphy, though, because that is a very attractive contest. And a very mm. interesting one. Like you say, Murphy, struggling for results, but I'm not sure he's been struggling for performances as much he, as he has for his results. People have just been playing really well against him. So, uh, yeah, and obviously he's got a great record in the UK, but Viphy has picked up some great wins in the UK as well. Hasn't he beat Selby the last two years? Oh, yeah.
1: Um, so he could definitely yeah. do it. So um that. Yeah, that is one to look forward to, for sure. And don't f- don't forget, I don't know if I mentioned this, but I believe... I believe that Sean Murphy has a Rolls Royce Q action. Did you know? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Quick one from you, mate. If Ali Carter's supposedly Marmite, where do you stand, fan or no fan?
1: I'm not massively pro Ali Carter. Um, intense is the word. Intense is look. He he he. Um, he's a fine player, uh, but he he's not for me very entertaining to watch, and he's he's. Um, He's very intense. You always think he's about to beat someone up, and um, (laughs) I don't. I don't mean I believe he is going to. I just mean he has that intense, smouldering look on his face. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. He wants to win. Desperately wants to win. Um, I'm allowed to say that I don't agree with his politics. I just did.
2: (laughs) Of course you are. You're allowed to say most things on Talking Snooker. No swearing, of course. Unless Bob Walker joins us, uh, <laughs> Phil, and then they're swearing uh, about every five minutes. But if Rob's not if Rob's not on here, no swearing. Now, Monday, yes. Judd Trump, Pang Jung-soo. Um, Judd the clear player of the season. Um, three tournament wins plus two finals. Um, but Pang had a couple of good wins. I was just checking his results uh, over uh, Thang Shenzhen and Mark Davis at the International Championship recently. He's going to hide into nothing against Judd, let's be clear. Um, and uh, perhaps I should ask you about that, Phil. Obviously, Judd, a, a big favourite and, and generally expected to go well at this tournament. The dip will come, because it always does. He'll hope it won't come yet.
3: Yeah, of course. Uh, Pang is a very impressive player. He sort of, uh, so, he's made his way up the rankings without much fuss. And it, it, it takes a lot of fuss. You know, just stayed on tour when you... And you break onto the tour it's very difficult he's up to 34 um which is just great effort from him at 23 years old um not that spectacular maybe but um he gets results Uh, but yeah he's got the probably the hardest draw possible against judd first up um and yeah i mean judd uh, it's one of those words put the narrative on retrospectively really but i think potentially losing that final to mark allen like he did in bolton wouldn't is not a, a terrible thing for his UK Championship chances.
2: Yeah, I agree uh, with that.
3: He'll he'll have gone away and uh concentrated on his game and uh, a little bit of a not that he needed a kick up the backside, but um, it never hurts to have one um ahead of a big tournament. So uh, yeah, I, th- I think Judd will win this. But Pang, yeah, is a very capable player. Uh, pushed Ronnie at the Crucible on his debut there this
1: year. Um, so it's not going to be a walkover by any stretch, but yeah, I fancy Judd. I'm going to use a word about Judd. Um, I'm going to to use the word genius. I think he is a genius. And, and, And by that, I mean, what do I mean by genius in this context? What I mean is some of his shots, it's not just the execution, which is sometimes faultless, but it's also the imagination, the imagination to see what is possible. And then the genius is to deliver the execution to make that seemingly impossible shot possible. We saw one recently, didn't we? A green off its spot where he played with uh, with a bit of top and right-hand side, took the cue ball off two cushions and nudged a red into a potable position over the right middle. I'm sure you remember the shot. Mm. I watched it about 100 times, and I, every time I thought, how can he squeeze it through the bulk colours in that way? Is it really uh, uh, entirely... Um, Entirely intentional, but it was—it was a deliberate. Every move of every single angle and inch that that cue ball went was planned. Uh, And you know, how many other players could play that shot? You tell me.
2: Well, not many. (laughs) He is. Yes, his shot making is is quite extraordinary, no question. And he's been playing, you know, not just winning tournaments, but playing a number of them this season. That's why he is such a special character in the game, I think, because he has that, you know, intense ability to focus and knuckle down and win stuff and also play brilliant shots along the way. So he he has the sort of perfect
1: package, if you like, as a player. See the brilliant shot, see the brilliant shot as well and and have the, you know, that was in tournament play. It it wasn't like the opponent needed snookers. That was, you know, serious. I need to win this frame. And yet he took on a shot like that, envisaged it, and delivered it perfectly. And 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 that's why, why I use the G word. I think that, that constitutes snooker genius.
2: Well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Barry Hawkins, Ben Wollaston, where well, they met at the last two Welsh Opens with one win apiece. Wollaston with plenty of tournament runs over the year, but not so much recently. And Hawkins, we've been saying it time and time again on here, Phil, so consistently this season, loads of deep runs, and of course, a tournament win at the European Masters under his belt. Will probably go under the radar, because he always does, and will quite possibly have a long run because he nearly always does. Monday, 7pm, Mark Selby, Mark Joyce. Well, Selby's won all their five previous meetings. He's um, twice a UK winner, once a runner-up, two other semis. Great to record in this tournament. Um, Joyce has been to two UK quarterfinals, actually, but going back you know, a fair few years now. And as we said earlier, he has just met Joe Perry, which will be some preparation for Selby. But, Matt, can you ever have any real preparation for Mark Selby in this sport? I'm interested to see your man of words. There's always some kind of metaphor linked to Selby. What's your metaphor for Mark Selby?
1: <laughs> granite. The word is granite, isn't it? You know, I, I'll yeah. tell you what I admire about Mark Selby, a lot of things. Obviously, you know, fantastic record, great guts. He's also had his demons off the table, which he's conquered, and, and you know, massive kudos to him for that and the bravery, to be honest about it. But what I see in Selby is a player that, you know, if he's not in good nick, you know, and suddenly you look at it and you think his best break in this session was 31. The other guy's got two centuries, but they're four all. And how did that happen? How did that happen? It happened because he grinds it out and he knows who he's playing? Of course, you play the table, but he plays the player too. He always, you know, finds a way to tuck up and frustrate the player, which is why I think, assuming he wins his match, uh, and if Lisowski is lucky enough to beat Trump, then that's going to be a big problem for Lisowski coming up against Selby. He's not unbeatable, of course, but he's about the best player at winning when he's playing badly. Uh, yeah. what I
2: would say. Great way yeah, of saying that, it. But, mm. It's so true, isn't it, Phil? We said it. I mean, Higgins is the other one that comes to mind. And actually, Ronnie a little bit. Ronnie a little bit, because that part of Ronnie is underrated. But Higgins, perhaps the ultimate, but Selby very close in crucible terms. I've seen Higgins be awful by his standards. Wait a second, it's four each. How's he done that? Yeah, that, they're masters, aren't they?
3: yeah absolutely incredible. and that's what people say. that's what other players are jealous of. We always talk about b and c and D games. um you know, Selby can win without playing anything like his best. and we all know no one can play the best all the time. In fact, you can't even play it half the time sometimes. so if you' if you're capable of, as you say in these long session long format matches, going sessions and not losing them without without finding your best, you know and then you're always aware that it's somewhere lurking to be dug out, then you're in a very strong position. I was looking at his record, actually. Players like Mark Selby, there's a few that you could speak about like this, have such a long history in the UK that you sort of think of them as having good records. Not not lately, not lately. Oh, yeah. No. It sort of has, Higgins is the same, sort of, they've come and gone, you know. He, Selby had a five-year spell where he won it twice, was in the final and semi-final, but then the six years since that, he's been to one quarter-final, and that's the best he's done. So yeah. it's hard to say whether he's got a good record in the UK or not. Won it twice, so that's got to be good, but not recently.
2: And it's really weird because he, that shows the vagaries of when you're informed because during that six, seven years, he's been brilliant in Sheffield for a lot of it. Mm. And it, yeah. it, let's be clear, he'd rather be good in, in the spring than he would in the early part of the winter. He'd rather be good at both times. But do you know what I mean? That's not always possible. So I find it interesting that his world record's been so much better than his UK at that in, in that time type thing. Let's move on then to uh, Jack Lazowski, Jamie Jones. We mentioned Jack a fair bit. Uh, I always think it's the have maybe unfair, but... Maybe, you know, his record means there is a fairness to thinking he's often the one to look relatively vulnerable in, in tournament draws. I mean, Jones has won there two previous meetings, but a long time ago. Jack, obviously, favourite. But, um, you know, I wonder if th- this would be the week when he has a really big run. As Matt's been saying, he's certainly got some tough hurdles to come, even if he wins that one. And then, Ronnie O'Sullivan Anthony McGill, Tuesday afternoon. Well, this match will always bring back memories of their crucible uh, meeting, of course, from 2021. But Ronnie did win 6-2 when they met at the International a few weeks ago. My Sporting Life colleague, Richard Mann, actually, and Neil Folds are both talking up uh, big runs uh, for Ronnie. And it sort of feels like it might be time, Phil. Listen, we haven't got crystal balls, but um, if we talk about people that love this tournament, Ronnie's right up there.
3: Yeah, for sure. He's he, he running a ranking event. It's the, the World Championship last year, his last one. You know, not a bad last one to have on his CV, but... Um, but yeah he's not been not been doing it in ranking events um, and yeah it's an interesting one you think McGill and that's the match that springs to mind so you think oh McGill does well against O'Sullivan the record is not that like that that's his only win against it but again just what a win to have on your CV um, but yeah I, he's he's just vulnerable at the minute isn't he and McGill's going to be sharp as you said he played very well in qualifying um, it's not out of the question that um, Anthony will win that game but I think O'Sullivan will be dialed in um, I mean, it was so strange last, year, last this time last year When he looked really good He looked like he was dialed in And looked like he may well win it again And then got walloped 6-0 um, So you never know quite what to expect From him in ranking tournaments at the minute um, But yeah uh, I, I very much respect the opinion Of the men you just mentioned there And if they're fancying a deep run I'm not going to argue
1: with them too much <laughs> What do you think Matt? Well you know It's the best of 11, isn't it, at that stage of the Mm -hmm. tournament? So up to six. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say something. I could say he could win 6-0 or lose 6-0. And he probably neither of those results will happen. But there isn't a single match that Ronnie O'Sullivan starts that you don't think that he could, to use your word, wallop the other player or sink into a gurning mess. You know, when he's... You know he sits in the you know this isn't he put tweet, pulls his face this way and he pulls his face the other way, and um, and you think what are your demons and we might talk about the 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 movie uh, that that we've all seen, uh, yeah. In, but um, yeah, I um, mean he could he could he could win the whole tournament at a canter, um, uh, with a ton of centuries, or he could um, go out and say well don't care if I win on those really, and then it'll be, be on or, or Eurosport.
2: well that wasn't a bad
1: impression at all
2: listen I'm wary we've all all got Friday nights out haven't we so a bit of a race against the clock but listen let's go on to John Higgins Joe O'Connor O'Connor's beaten Higgins a couple of times in previous meetings Uh, Higgins will be wary because he's I've seen O'Connor knock out his good friend Maguire, of course. Um, John not having a bad season. I had a look at the one-year list, and he's 11th, so that's obviously a guide to he's doing okay. He's he's reaching semis, but I guess he's so amazing, John, that you sort of think, well, he's not getting to finals, he's not having a good season. He is having a good season. Um, He'd obviously be favourite in that one, but by no means um, anything like a 4 goal conclusion. Tuesday night, Neil Robertson, Xiao Yilong. I mentioned my interview with Neil coming up. He's talking a good game, but, you know, there's no, there's no good results to to back that up at the moment, frankly. Um, I, I noticed, actually, their past results, that um, Robertson beat Zhao in that epic run. Um, he beat him in the semis when he won that famous tournament in, in COVID when he beat Judge Trump in the final. And, uh, well, Zhao had a good run to the quarterfinals of the English this season, beating Ali Carter on the way. I'd like to think that he'll have a run, Bill, because they keep us talking about that long run of, of, of calendar year victories. But, um, as I say, the, the evidence isn't saying so. Um so we'll, we'll learn a lot on that day, won't we?
3: We will. And this is his last chance, as far as I'm aware, to, yeah, he is, to yeah. keep that alive. Um, I, know, I mean, that would be some way to do it. What? I mean, that would be amazing. The fitting of a man of his stature. Um, but yeah, it would take a, a remarkable turnaround in form because it just hasn't been there at all. And a uh, tricky game against you long as well. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, at Higgins, I was just I mentioned that sort of same thing as uh, Selby, having seemingly having a good record. So Higgins started in the UK um, by his first his first six visits to the UK. He won two, one final, two semis. Um, so you think, oh, he's made for this tournament. But then since he he won it in 2010, and since then he's not been past the quarterfinal. He's only been to three quarters. So it's, that's an incredible record, really. That's so shocking um, mm-hmm. for a man of his quality. So um, he doesn't have a great time of it in York. He lost in the first round, um, last year Which was Something of a surprise um, Who was that against uh, Tom Ford uh, On his one to the semis So um, Yeah I mean Joe kind O'Connor of Cannot be ruled out there He's going to be very confident After that win over Maguire he, He's a real Tough uh, Sort of grinding Steady opponent Obviously he can not seen it all before But I wouldn't be surprised If Joe picked up another win
2: Neil Robertson Has gone straight off to Australia After the UK And He's returning after nearly a month and he's he's told me that he's been to Australia a fair bit for that actually but he he usually goes at the end of the season and what he's going to enjoy about here not just the fact it's summer and escaping as he puts it the dark cold wet days of of the UK but also a lot of his friends and family will be around people tend to take time off at Christmas so he's really seeing as a reset and he's saying again Matt that most people the Chinese guys can to some extent, but not even they can really know what it's like to come from the other side of the world with your friends and family all there and compete over here. It's, uh, it's, it's tough and most of us can't understand unless we're there, can we?
1: Well, yes, I, I'm sure you're right. And particularly as even now, although we've had, you know, the great and positive influx of Chinese players and we've had a few Canadian players and obviously a few Australians, uh, still the majority... Uh, are, are from the British Isles, and those who aren't are from Europe. Like, you know, so that's the case. So not only is he facing that challenge that you're 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 talking about, but he's also one of the few who has to do it. Really, you know, um, compared with the most that are from the British British Isles, and it is a long way. It's as far as you can go. Of course, he's had his demons off the track. Off off the track. That's me talking about Formula One again. <laughs> <laughs> Off, off the table. I told you I was an F one lifer. <laughs> anyway, uh. off the table. He he didn't he have an addiction to uh, gaming, computer games at one. He time? did. He did. And that was, you know, he 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 would suddenly not go to bed till six in the morning, and he had to get up at eight for a for a for a tournament match.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. But I think he's knocked that on the head now, has he not?
3: Y- yes, yes. That was well. a while ago. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, uh, all fair play to anybody who faces those things down and and, and uh, comes out. I'm a big fan. Um, you know, uh, he's not allowed to have a Rolls-Royce queue action because only Sean Marf- Murphy can have one of them. But we'll give him a Bentley. <laughs> <laughs> Very generous indeed. And we finish <laughs> off with
2: Robert Milkins against Tep Chai, new. Tep Chai has won all but one of their previous meetings and must, uh, I guess, fancy his chances. Milkins uh, has not... Quite hit the heights of the last sort of season or two, but did have a fine win over Mark Williams, which we should remember at the champion of the champions last week. Let's just be honest. Overall, what a tournament to look forward to! Terrific live on the BBC and Eurosport. It's going to be just one of the, the 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 grand weeks. Big matches every afternoon, every evening. It's sort of thick and fast action, and it's got a little bit of that, you know, that some of the the grandeur that was missing with this top sixteen going straight there. Uh, a fine venue big crowds expected i understand ticket sales are terrific so we're really really looking forward to it the uk championship coming up matt we're not going to be here too much longer but we must ask you a little bit more about your 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 life in f1 you've been a successful magazine editor you've worked on the communications uh teams of uh, you know of, of f1 teams you, you, you now got your own pr agency i mean it's just a combination of of jobs you've had and that's a great testament to you that you could do all these different things and be a success in all of them
1: well it's a great testament to being so old actually to be fair because <laughs> it means i've had time to do, <laughs> i've had time to to do all this stuff i've, I've been incredibly lucky i have <laughs> been and remain incredibly lucky in my life uh, you know um I've, I've had some great jobs um um you know to work with lewis hamilton which i did for five years at mclaren Um, uh, And by the way, the first race I went to for McLaren in Melbourne, Australia, we won it. He won it. And then we won the championship at the end of that year. That was 2008. And we won the championship. And I was in the garage in Interlagos in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And he won it by overtaking Timo Glock's Toyota on the last corner, Uh. last lap of the last race of the year. You could not make it up. Uh. You could not make it up. And, of course, sport does that. You know that what I've just described—the twenty oh eight champion Formula One championship showdown—is y- y- you know like the world's in eighty five, isn't it? It's it's the it's it's um it's it was eighty five, wasn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. Steve Davis and De- Dennis Taylor.
2: It was, and you know my biggest F one moment, perhaps of all time, woke up in the middle of the night virtually to watch it. It was Mansell's tire blowing in Adelaide, and look at <laughs> that, Murray Walker. I've never seen a moment like that in that sport. I I, I, that, was, that was my top one, ever.
1: Do, do you know what Murray Walker actually said just before? He said, colossally, that's colossally.
2: Mansell. Colossally, that's Mansell, yeah. <laughs> colossally, that's Mansell. And then, of course, famously, yeah. wasn't it PK next in line, but he didn't win it either and Pross won it, or vice versa, something like that.
1: <laughs> I, I I think we need a... You know, at some time in this tournament, I'm going to ask, challenge. I'm hereby challenging one of the commentators. You know, I think it should be Neil Fools, should say, "Colossally, that's Bressel" or something like <laughs> that. <laughs> Fantastic. Um,
3: now uh, we're a bit against the clock here a bit, and this potentially an enormous question, but you've worked in sort of the PR side of F1 and sort of promotion and the media side. Is there anything that you think snooker could learn from a, a sport that's entirely different, but that does it very well like
1: Formula One? Well, I some people would think this is a strange thing to say because you could say that how could the two sports be more different? You know, one of them is played at a sedate pace when you look at it by, you know, men in suits with bow ties most of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other is cars going literally 230 240 miles an hour uh, with big shunts and ever present danger so how could you say they're similar i think they're similar one of the reasons i think i like them both is that they have similarities first of all absolute precision you know if you're if you're braking for a corner at um, 180 miles an hour and you know you have to turn in at 120 miles an hour to shed those 60 miles an hour as quickly as possible, and then turn in without breaking traction, without sliding, without understeering, without oversteering, and missing the wall by inches at that speed, and then getting the power down and doing it again and again. Precision, absolute precision. Of course, we know snooker is all about precision, all about, you know, obviously I'm talking mostly the cue ball, you know, keeping the cue ball under precise curation in that way. So I think that's the same and then the other part is you're on your own. You're absolutely on your own. And you, you know in Formula 1 you're it's harum scarum and you don't have the time to think too much although you'd be surprised how brilliantly some of the drivers are and they will ask quite detailed questions on the car to pit radio. At the same time, same time as racing hell for leather, you just wonder how they've got the mind management yeah. uh, or the mind space to do that. But they have, and we're talking about genius again. But they can't be anywhere lonelier. You know, if you're if you're you know eight nil down against a player who's knocking in centuries, one visit victories all the time, and you're just sitting there, they can't be anywhere lonelier. You are all on your own, or you miss a sitter, or you know you've got frame ball and you miss it and the other guy dishes up. There's nowhere more lonely than washing, watching him, sitting on your chair, watching him dish up. And you knew, if only I hadn't missed that black off the spot, it was mine. So I think those things are very similar. If I wanted to talk about things that um, uh, Snooker could learn off Formula One, now I'm going to make a slightly, ra- have I got time for a slightly radical suggestion? Yes, yeah, say that. Okay, well, you might not agree. And um, Jason Ferguson will probably send me a text saying, why the hell did you suggest that? But too late, Mm -hmm. hey. So um, what I actually think is remarkable about Formula One and has actually made Formula One more popular globally over the past 73 years, because that's how long it's been going um, at the Formula One World Championship, than perhaps it might have been otherwise, is that every tournament, race, race, Grand Prix, has exactly the same weighting, and you get the same number of points for winning it, whether it's Monaco or Azerbaijan, and there's a cumulative points total that goes forward, and the winner becomes world champion. And if you think about sports, there aren't actually that many sports where that is the case. Obviously, team sports, there are football, you know, you get points for a win and points for a draw, and at the end of the season, who scored more points is world champion is, is the, the, the series champion, the league champion. But that's what it's like in Formula One. And I wonder if there would be a possibility where you could have the ranking tournaments and you could give equal weighting and then you could have a separate points total. I know there's a money list. Of course, I know that. But I just wonder if there's something that could be around that. Um, and you could have, I know there's a world championship, but you could have a, you know, a World Series victor or something like that. I don't know. Um, I haven't gone and done the thought. I haven't, you know, nutted it out on the back of an envelope. And probably, you know, half your um, listeners will now be saying, "Will that guy go back to Formula One and leave us alone?" <laughs> but it, uh, it would. It's a it's a pub conversation. Well, let's show yeah, you I... open to them. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. No, I, I get what you're saying because. There's so much chat often about what needs to be done to the world championship and things like that. Um, well, not things like that, that thing. But really, I think it's all about bringing up the importance and the level of the other tournaments um, rather than trying to improve the best one we've got. So, yeah, I mean, along those lines, as you say, it's something to
1: talk about. It's something to talk about over a pint or two, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Very much so. Or uh, in terms of this podcast, you can have your say over a pint or two if you want, uh, Talking snooker at yahoo.com or tweet us at Talking Snooker. To so what you've heard there from Matt. Um, Matt, I also want to say, you, you, I talked talk to you about being a speaker at the top. You are a pretty forthright speaker on LGBTQ issues and you are a founder and ambassador of Racing Pride, which was a movement developed with uh, Stonewall uh, to promote LGBTQ issues. Inclusivity in the noticeable industry and of course that's something you are passionate about you are a uh, as I say you know you, you talk about those issues very openly and I'm sure people are very grateful that you do so
1: well thank you yeah some people say to me why do we need it this is 2023 you live in the UK you live in London um you, you know you're a gay man you're married to another gay man what have you got to worry about and you know I, I understand that but um not everybody does live in London. Not everybody uh, approaches their sexuality in uh, in, um, in the same way, and some people are, are, are closeted. Some people are nervous. Formula One uh, and, and perhaps snooker two, for all I know. Um, certainly, football uh, will certainly have some closeted um, players. I'm not saying that any of the players we've mentioned i think they're all heterosexual and i think all the former one drivers i believe are heterosexual current ones but there have over the years been um some uh, some gay guys that have been uh closeted there's only been three that have ever come out ever i won't go into the history of who they are but i could do if you wanted me to <laughs> anyway um but i'm talking about the open ones but anyway uh what i actually think is that um you know with racing pride Particularly, it's now possible to come out if you are someone like me, a journalist, uh, a PR, comms person, a marketing person, um, a catering person, in those kind of areas within the teams. And don't forget, the teams have 750 or 800 employees altogether. But the biggest number of employees are mechanics and engineers, and it's hard for them to come out. There's something about the culture. You can come out if you're a journalist or you're a, a, a PR person but you can't really come out if you're a mechanic, or it's harder. And I sometimes work, you know, Racing Pride, we actually work with three of the teams, Aston Martin, um, Alpine, and Red Bull, but we also do uh, occasional one-off work with Mercedes and Williams. So that's five out of ten teams. We do a lot of work with them, and we go into the factories and we talk to the directors and the line managers about how to be more inclusive, And why do we do it? Because if you have, let's say, a 40-year-old mechanic who has been working for a team, let's say, for the sake of argument, it's Williams, for 17 years and has been closeted, and during those 17 years, he's gradually come out to his parents, to his brothers and sisters, to his neighbours. He's now got his boyfriend, then he married his boyfriend, and he's married to his boyfriend, and he's out to his neighbours. But the only place he's not out at all is his place of work. And by the way, he works incredibly long, hard hours for that and travels to 24 Grand Prix and therefore lives with his teammates. But he has to or feels he can't share this secret. What you actually find is that that kind of double life isn't good for people. It's not good for the soul. It's not good for the psyche. And if you can help, as I try to, but never force or never urge, Just say, I'm there to help if you want, and that's what we do at Racing Pride. If you would like to consider exploring a route via which you might come out, you might find it would be easier than you thought and less stressful and less horrible. And then you might be um, more relaxed. And I say, then my message to the teams is those mechanics and engineers can make mistakes. They can make mistakes that can cost you victories, that can cost you valuable world championship points and they're more likely to do that if they're distracted and they're more likely to be distracted if they're unhappy. So if you can find a place where you can increase their well-being and their psychological well-being, they will make make next they will make fewer mistakes and you know what? your cars will win more races. <laughs> you will actually win more races if you evolve and curate a good LGBTQ+ plus and diversity, equity and inclusion policy and when you start talking to them about you could win more races then they go oh right yeah well we're going to do that then (laughs) because that's the competitiveness of professional sport and formula one is right up there so that's what we do and uh, you know some people say it's not necessary but hopefully my little explanation shows how it's valuable
2: well it was a great explanation we are most grateful for you making it Matt and um I have to say, we'll say in a moment what just a brilliant guest you've been. But a quick word, Phil, about the Ronnie premiere on the green carpet. Ronnie Wood there from the Rolling Stones, of course. And as the aforementioned David Beckham, loads of players as well. Stephen Hendry, Judd Trump, Jack Lozowski. It, it was a top night out, wasn't it? Me and you in a suit, lesser seen.
3: Yeah, very rarely seen that, isn't it? But at the same time, incredible stuff. Ian Wright and Alan Shearer as well. Buzz to see that I was always a big fan of Ian Wright. Um, yeah, and it was, yeah, it was really nice to see Judd and Jack there, I thought. Obviously, Judd had a bit of a starring role at the end, but, um, but they didn't need to be there supporting. That was good to see. Um, and, yeah, an amazing, amazing film. Um, it's been not, yeah, a near enough entirely positive reaction that I've seen um, from a couple of people I know who are not big Snoop fans, really, said the same as well. Um, so it's created an encouraging amount of buzz. One thing I would say that I've seen on Twitter a bit, uh, quite a number of fans from around the globe and it's only, a, it's only available in the UK and Ireland, which is actually mm. really disappointing. I don't know if that's mm. going to change because, that, I mean, especially with Dave Beckham's reach in America, everywhere really, but especially America, you would think it's a really good chance to, you know, it's not WST behind it or anything, but it's how so I don't say if Amazon care about the reach of snooker across the globe. But as a sport, it would be nice if it is released everywhere because, uh, you know, it would be a lot of people who aren't used to seeing any snooker could be
1: introduced to it through that medium. So hopefully that will change. I, I, I thought it was a brilliant film. Uh, I, I thought it was, you know, heartrendingly honest. Um, I, I genuinely believe that Ronnie O'Sullivan was speaking from the heart throughout. Um, you know, we saw him laugh and cry. I laughed and cried during the time watching it. And, you know, his mum and dad, obviously his dad's had a checkered time let's put it that way uh, with his um, his prison sentence but um both of them were you know it was interesting uh harrowing sometimes to hear them you know i'm not going to spoil it for those who haven't seen it but do watch it uh absolute honesty uh and love and uh, from from both mother and father and of course from ronnie in return and A brilliant, 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 which I'm also not going to spoil. But, you know, we all know that Ronnie was mic'd up for the last two, he was mic'd up for the Masters and the Worlds. And at the end, when he managed to beat Judd Trump in the Worlds, and they had that prolonged hug, of course, we couldn't really hear, well, we couldn't at all hear when we were watching it live at the time. In the movie, you can hear everything. And all I will say is that that is human frailty in the raw and human that's from Ronnie human frailty in the raw True. and human nobility from Judd Trump in the raw and unmissably brilliant end to the film in that sense
2: well human frailty and human nobility i think is the best summing up i've heard of that amazing exchange and matt you've been a, 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 an outstanding guest we we're, we're, we're thankful to you Please come back and see us again one day. Keep enjoying the snooker. And uh, yeah, I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to you as much as we've enjoyed recording with you.
1: It's, it's been an enormous privilege. And I know I'm, I know I'm um, a, 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 a gatecrasher. I'm not really a snooker man like you are, but I, I, I love the sport and I've been incredibly touched and am and very grateful that you've given me the opportunity to, um, to spout on for an hour and a bit about it. <laughs> no, it's our
3: pleasure entirely And yeah, your love of it has come across I'm sure everyone will agree So yeah, well, uh, I feel like we could have spoken to For another hour, so we'll have to have a You want to get in the future, hopefully
2: Only we could do Coming up an hour and a half And still feel like we've we've got loads more to do, Phil Typical <laughs> talking snooker, very much on brand Well, we're heading off to enjoy the UK Championship What a week coming up And, and you out there, please, you know do, do enjoy the tournament Live in the UK on the BBC and Eurosport And live in various other places uh through uh, different broadcasters which you can check on the wst website so yeah this is one of the really special parts of the season the first triple crown event and please just relish it all from start to finish we'll be back with you after the tournament to reflect on it all uh, from york but for now from matt phil and myself cheerio
0: sports social podcast network